If you go out into a desert, you'll see why it's one of the most deadly, uninhabitable places on the planet. It's dry, and where there's no water, there's no life. This is the picture that we get on page two of Genesis. The story begins with a dry and desolate wilderness, but God provides a spring in the desert that becomes a source of life for plants and animals. And that's where God brings together a man and a woman so that humanity can flourish and spread the life of the garden. Exactly. And that garden spring becomes a river that flows out to water the entire world. And there can be enough for everyone. It's all a gift from God. And this is great, humans in a lush garden, but as it turns out, they find a way to ruin it. Right, despite all of this water that God's provided, it's like they still have a drought deep inside of them. This is an image of the human condition, how we're always thirsty for more. But more of what? Well, in this story, the humans want more wisdom to create more security and more control on their own terms. And tragically, it only leaves them more thirsty and suspicious of each other. And so they end up back in the wilderness. The humans have lost access to the water of life. And because of that, they can't spread God's life into the world. And so God needs to rescue them from the wilderness. Yeah, like in the story of Jacob, his selfish scheming ruined his family relationships. So he has to run from his problems out into the wilderness. But there he finds a well and he meets a woman. And this is like Eden, a man and a woman together by a source of water. Right. And then through Jacob, God creates the family of Israel and he invites them to share in his own life so that they can be his partners in spreading that life to others. And sometimes they do this. But ultimately, they struggle with the same drought of the soul, thirsting for more power and more control, and it leads them down a path of violence and self-ruin. And so they find themselves in a new wilderness, captive to other nations. All this effort to quench our own thirst on our own terms, it's killing us. Yeah, the biblical prophet Ezekiel described Israel in exile as a pile of dry bones scattered in a desert valley. But he said, one day God will pour out his own life presence, his spirit to water the land, to create a new Eden and new kinds of humans. People who can spread God's life to others. Exactly. And so this brings us to the story of Jesus. Right. And there's a story about Jesus who goes to a well that Jacob used to own. And just like in Jacob's story, Jesus meets a woman. And he tells this woman that no matter how much water she drinks from this well, she'll always thirst for more. Then he offers water that could quench her thirst forever. He's not talking about the well water. No, what he's talking about is God's own life that comes through him to us to satisfy our deepest thirsts. This is why later on Jesus says, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. This is cool, but it's also a strange image, drinking from a person. Totally. And it's connected to another strange image we find in the story of Jesus' death on the cross. A Roman soldier thrusts a spear in Jesus' side and there's blood, but also all this water flows out. Yes, it's an image showing how Jesus' death is a fountain of life. From him, God's own love that would die for his enemies flows down and out into the world. After Jesus was raised from the dead, we're told that he sends the spirit into his followers. Yes, to fill them up with God's own life. This is why the Apostle Paul said that when we join the current of God's spirit, the fruit of Eden starts growing in us. 
love and joy, patience and kindness, gentleness and self-control. People like that can create beautiful things in the world that bring life to others. Yes, like little streams of God's life that can come together and point forward to the beautiful scene that we find on the last page of the Bible. There's a new river of life. Yes, it's flowing out from God and into a renewed creation, bringing life to all wherever it goes. Beginning in John 1, we have the introduction and, 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 and we have eternity past. We have the introduction of, of John the Baptist. And we have the baptism of Jesus. John 2, we have Jesus turning water into, into wine. What I love about this is, is Jesus will do things in your life simply just because you ask him to. If you go back to John 2 and read about Jesus turning water into wine, Jesus is like, it's not my time. I'm not supposed to, this is not my calling right here, right now. But they simply ask him and he does it. Jesus will sometimes do things in your life just because we ask him. That's how much he loves you. John 3, being born again, it speaks about being born of water and of the spirit. John 4, woman at the well, we're going we're gonna to talk about. John 5 is about, is about the healing at the pool of Bethesda. John 6, Jesus walks on water in the Sea of Galilee. John 7 is all about rivers of living water, currents of moving of fresh water. John 9 is the pool of Siloam. And even more specifically in John 9, what is so interesting about water is that actually heal the blind man. Jesus uses water from his own body. He spits into the mud. Water from his very being rubs on the man's eyes. It's all about this living water. John 10, I'm going to come back to. John 11, we see water flow from Jesus' eyes. John 13, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. I go back to John 10 because although there's some speaking there about baptism again, the whole chapter is about Jesus being the good shepherd. There's no specific addressing or identifying of water as being, as being the key theme in John 10. But if you were a, 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 a Jew, a local Individual in this time and place, and you hear Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. You are going to be familiar with the scriptures of Psalm 23. And I just want to read it. The Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And here it is. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you're with me and your rod and your staff, they come for me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So often we hear this passage read at the end of our days. But I, I, I want to encourage you, this is a passage for the beginning of your days. Because when I wake up, I want to know that where I'm going, Jesus is leading me. Yes. And I love this. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, though even though I'm feeling surrounded by darkness and I feel confused and I feel burdened and my life feels heavy, what, he, what does he say? In my, in my wording, in my paraphrase, it says simply this. 
The Lord has given you a bottle of water to carry with you. Overflowing. She set a table for you. You ever feel, have you ever been somewhere in your life that everyone around you tells you you're crazy? That you've stepped out and everything, everything around you, even your own mind rebels against you. Everything, everything around you just tells you that, that you're make, this, is, this doesn't feel right. This, this just, this just, I shouldn't be doing this. It, it, it goes against common wisdom. But yet, yet, there's somewhere in your soul that there's this peace. A peace that passes all understanding, the Bible says. Right? Water. Peter sees Jesus walking on the water. He gets out of the boat. Everything in your common understanding of, of physics says that is the dumbest thing you could do. It is a storm. I don't care if you're a fisherman. I don't care how well you swim. I don't want to be out of a boat in a storm at, at that intensity, even with a life jacket on. I don't even have faith that a life jacket will keep me above the water. And Peter is so desperate. He wants to be where Jesus is, that he leaps out. Everything says, right? And I love this about Peter. He didn't even take time to think about it. But I guarantee everyone on the boat's thinking, what an idiot. Right? Now we need, now we need a life. Someone rescue Peter. Throw the line. Peter's not thinking about the line because he is overcome with something else in his life. It's the presence of Jesus. And he has this deep peace. He is so compelled, so overwhelmed by being in the presence of Jesus. He does not even care about the waves going on around him. Until. How many of us are doing so well in our lives until? How many of us are doing so well following Jesus in our lives until? Sarah. Sarah. I'm sorry to say, I'm so proud of the steps that you're taking. We are all praying for you and we're excited for you. And my prayer for you is going to be that you, in the name of Jesus, overcome the until. See, what the until is, the until is the doubt that comes in. The until is looking at the waves. It's receiving those bills. It's receiving those those messages from outsiders. Well, this is your fault. This is your fault. This is your fault for following Jesus. You see that bill that you're worried about? It's your fault. You quit. You left. Should have stayed in the boat. See, the entails in our lives are so unsettling. They're so unsettling. And, and, and the truth is it, and the truth is, all of us battled the entails. In every form, in every capacity. But the beautiful story about Peter is that she isn't about Peter jumping out of the boat. It's not even about the storm. It's about the reality is that Jesus calms the storm. So that where Jesus is, there is never an until. Because he brings a peace that grants us value and, and, and wealth and insight and understanding that's beyond understanding 
So I think the untils in our lives, those waves, these untils, I think they're so necessary if we're ever, ever really going to understand the peace and beauty and the depths of how valuable Jesus is. Because there's nothing like meeting Jesus. There's nothing like when Jesus shows up and, 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 and has nothing else to do with his day except talk to you. And look at you and hold you and direct you. I think this is how some of us just begin our new year because we forget that. Because I want you to know that Jesus has nothing else to do except to meet with you. He has nothing else to do except meet with you. Because you are that important. You are the object of his deepest affections. So he calls us out of the boat. He calls us out from the stories that we once lived into a new story that he wants to tell us. John 4, it's a rather lengthy passage, but I want to read it to you. I think Lisa will try to get it up for us. John chapter 4, I I, kind of want to apologize to you for for going back to John 4. I would have loved to not do John 4 again. We all know John 4. John 4 is, has, is, is, is a very simple story to tell. It's a very exciting story to tell. It's been told over and over and over again. I did not want to tell you about the story about the woman at the well. But when it comes to this living water, I couldn't escape it. So if it's not a new story to you, I pray that the Lord will show you some new things about him, about Jesus in this story. If it is a new story to you, I, I, I pray that it'll be that beginning point to begin to live a new narrative with Jesus as the great storyteller. John 4, verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although he himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to go to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called, called Sicca, near the field, field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. I want to pause here along the way because I'm just pointing out a couple of things. It says here that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. <clears throat> I don't want to disagree with the scriptures, but based on on all <clears throat> Jewish custom, Israel geography, he did not. Jesus did not have to pass through Samaria. It's actually very, very common, and we're going to hear this in the story, but what the Jews would actually do, they would actually do everything in their power to avoid going through Samaria. Because Samaria, as we go all the way back in our history, Samaria is just really, 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 really simplifying. They're, they're called half-breeds. So when, when um, in the Old Testament, when the, the Babylonians, Medes, Persians, when they came in, one way that they would overcome um, the the northern northern tribes of Israel, what they would do is they would they would they would mix and marry. So the people are half breeds; they're not Jewish, 
as they are down in Judea. And this is offensive. They are half-breeds. They call them dogs. And what a Jewish person will do is they will actually cross, they'll cross the, the, help me out, Jordan. Cross the Jordan, go up the east side to get to the north, and then come back into Galilee. So Jesus did not have to go through Samaria. His disciples did not want to go through Samaria. Jesus has somewhere specific that he's going. And in this case, Jesus has to go through Samaria. Right? Ever in that place where you have to go, you have to go buy a quart of milk? No, you really don't. You really don't. You can drink something else that night. You can cook something else. You don't really have to go get milk tonight. Right? You don't really have to go to that specific store. But you do have to get your milk. So you make a choice. Right? And so Jesus has to go through Samaria. And it's pointed out here, the sixth hour is the setting for this story. The sixth hour, this sixth hour is, is going to be very interesting, and it's going to pop up over and over again in the scriptures. It's going to be the moment that Jesus reenacts. At the sixth hour, he's going to meet this woman. And he's going to reveal himself as the Christ. And at the very, very sixth hour, he's going to share with him a new story. And at the sixth hour, as we page through the end of the book of John, the same sixth hour, which will be 12 noon, Jesus is going to go to the cross. And he's going to do the very, very same work in her life. He's going to do the very, very same work in our life that he did in her life. And so the sixth hour is a most remarkable moment. And I think it's shared with us just with so much intention. It's almost like, it's almost like Jesus can't wait. He has to tell someone. But see, in order to be able to tell someone, you have to have someone who's ready to listen. And here's one of my observations. Friends, if you're not looking for Jesus, you're not going to find him. If you're not looking to listen to Jesus, you're not going to hear him. If you're not looking to be part of the story that Jesus is telling, you're going to continue to be part of the story that you create yourself. And so we meet this woman in verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink for... His disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink for me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with with us. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself. You ever like to drop, 
drop like like drop names of, of who you know and right who you've met. I don't know who you are, you strange Jew, oh. stopping and asking me for a drink of water. This is Jacob's well. He drank from it. We know his relatives. His great 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 nephew lives next door. Who are you? She is. Yeah. Sir, you have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. Verse 12. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He's given us well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water anymore. So this woman, this is a very, this is a very peculiar moment. This woman is coming here at noon. Now, I want to share with you two brief insights and perspectives because many biblical scholars believe that she's coming here because she's doing everything she can to avoid anyone else in town. See, we're going to continue in this story, and Jesus is going to point out to her all the narratives that she's lived that have not fulfilled her. All the stories that that she has partaken, and, and the story in its simple conclusion is this, no one loves you. No one wants you. You belong to no one. You belong nowhere. Now, if you've listened to this narrative in your life, and and I believe we all have in in some form, you will actually reroute your day to avoid those people who remind you of that story. Yeah. We just celebrated the holidays and some of the people who are the most negative influences in our lives. Some of the people who tell and remind us of our worst moments, the worst stories that we don't want to live anymore are our family members. And I hear these stories all the time. We get together for Christmas and and, and, and I try to behave and I try to just kind of fit in. But I'm just reminded of a story that I don't want to live when I'm with them. I'm now trying to live a new story in Jesus. But these are the people that just keep telling me the story. And the truth is, we we just stop going to those people. We don't want to hear those voices in our lives anymore, so we just stop. This woman is coming to this well because she doesn't want to hear these voices anymore. She's been married, or at least with, she's been married at least five times, or in, 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 in more relationships five times, but, but she doesn't belong anywhere. People look at her as, as, as maybe at, at best as a prostitute. She doesn't want to be around people. She doesn't want to be reminded of all the wells that she's gone to, that all the water that she's, she's drawn and still remains dry. Here's a point I want to make. It doesn't matter what wells you go to in your life. It doesn't matter what time of day that you go to these wells in your life. It's, if it's not the right well, you're going to continue to live the wrong life. It doesn't matter what time you go to the well. If it's not the right well, you're going to continue to live a discouraged life. Wow. And so this woman is going at this well at the most improper time. See, all the other women would be coming in the morning 
when it's cool, not when it's not when it's noon, not when it's when it's most hot. But she's doing everything she can to avoid these these stories and these voices in her life. That's one perspective. That's the one that's most commonly told. You've heard me tell it before. And I don't want to disagree with that because I think it's true. But something's going to happen in this story that makes me question this reality. Because she's going to have this conversation with Jesus. And Jesus is, she's going to be so enamored with who Jesus is. She's going to ask him straight out, give me this water. Although I do agree with her lifestyle, I do agree with whatever narrative that she's lived. I, don't, I think she's come to accept it. Why? Because after she meets Jesus, she's going to run into town. In theory, she's going to run to talk to all the people that she's been avoiding. Uh, that doesn't really fit with me. Unless, of course, she's now captured by a new story, a new narrative to live. I, I, I can accept that. No, I, I don't think she's necessarily, I think she's accepted I think she's accepted the life that she's lived. I think she's accepted her choices and, 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 and the consequences. And I think she comes this well every day because it's meaningful to her. I think she comes this well every day. And you hear her speak of its spiritual significance right out the gate. There is something here that I know is what my soul longs for. I come here for water, but what I'm looking for is for meeting. And Jacob was here, and Jacob knew who Yahweh was. And I think she's coming to this well, looking for Jesus. I think she's been coming to this well at, at the sixth hour, day after day after day, waiting for God to reveal himself to her in a whole new way. See, sometimes when you want to see and need to see Jesus so badly in your life, there's nothing that will stop him from showing up in your life. Nothing. How badly do you want to be where Jesus is? How badly do you want to meet Jesus? Because what we do is we end up going from well to well to well. Trying to, trying to somehow make our understanding of the well as, as part of what Jesus is doing. Okay, that, that didn't quite fulfill me. When I, I'll go to this one. Well, Jesus wasn't there, so I'll, I'll go to this one. Instead of just crying out and saying, Jesus, you know I'm looking for you. Yahweh, King and Creator of the heavens and the earth, you know I am here. You ever find how silly it is, how silly it is that we go looking for Jesus when Jesus knows exactly where we are? But because we're impatient, because we, we, we are more discontent with the stories that we've been living than actually sitting and waiting for God to come and give us a new one. And Jesus comes. And she says, give me this living water so I will never be thirsty again. And Jesus goes on in verse 16. And Jesus said to her, Go call your husband to come here. And the woman answered him, I, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying this. 
that I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one that you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Ah, she's getting closer, right? She's not ready to, to understand that this is the Christ. This is who she's been waiting for. But she notices that there's something special about him. And, and I want you to know that I find this a very interesting moment. Like Jesus is telling her something, something that he shouldn't know. Right? He's perceiving something. But guess what? Everyone in this town knows. So, so she's not off put. She knows. Everyone knows. Except it is different, isn't it? Because Jews don't belong here. This person went out of their way to get to me. And it sure seems awfully peculiar that this individual will go all the, way, all the way out of his way to come and meet me would actually walk around town to find out about me. No, that doesn't seem likely. He seems to understand and have insight into my life and my narrative in ways that, that he could not have known. Verse 19, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And I love, it's all this spiritual conversation for her. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You will worship, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Since Genesis 1, the creation of all things, the beauty, this, this, this great artwork laid through all of creation... Since it was destroyed in Genesis 3, I love this. I love the, these videos that, that we shared. And Justin, thanks again for picking this one out. Watching this fruit, this, this, this fruit fall that, that just brings and ushers the wrong narrative in our lives. That just ushers death into our lives. Watching her, her, her drop it. It's all from that moment. The, the, the new narrative is being written. And it says quite Clearly, the Father is seeking such people to worship him. See, see, since Genesis 3, the Lord is seeking you. He's seeking each and every one of us to restore what's been lost, to restore what's been broken, to restore what's been damaged. He's seeking you. He's seeking those who are waiting to be found. He's looking for you. He's calling you. He's, he's welcoming, welcoming us into this relationship. And this is why Christ is going to come, why Christ is going to go to the cross, why Christ is going to move into eternity, move into death and come out on the other side. He's going to overcome and conquer death so that the pathway for us is created, that the relationship is restored back to the creator. Seeking, proactively looking. Some of you, when 
you were younger, maybe even as adults. You ever play hide and seek with your with your little ones? How many of you start out playing hide and seek, but your children and grandchildren actually have more energy than you do? And so you start out hide and seek, and they love hiding, and then you find them, and they love being found. And so they want to play again, and they want to play again. But at some point, you don't want to find them anymore. So instead of playing hide and seek, you now play this game called hide. And you just wait to see how long it is until, until they give up and they just come out again. Some of us think that God is just playing a game of hide with us. That, he, that we just think he's not coming for me. That somehow he doesn't know where I am or what I need or, or I'm dismissed. No, the passages are very, very clear. He is a God of seeking. And he's seeking us until we will be found. But being found is something that we have to, be, we have to want. Some of us, let's just be honest, are way too good at hiding. And every time that we feel the Lord getting closer, that wrong narrative is so loud in our lives that we get up and uproot ourselves and go find another hiding place. See this woman that he's meeting? She's ran and hid six times. She knows the narrative isn't going to change her life, but it's the only one she knows. She runs to it over and over and over again. But deep within her, and I love this, deep within her is this authentic voice that knows it's not the life she was designed to live. And she comes to the well every single day. See, and this is, this is what's true. If we are going to live a life in Christ, we have to understand and learn what life in Christ is. We have to imagine that there's a different story for us to live. And this is what the Bible is all about. Reading and learning and imagining a life where Christ is in control. That we trust him. That we, that we get out of the boats. That we, we go where he leads. Some of us, it's very, very difficult, isn't it? For us to imagine that someone could actually love us. See... I want you to imagine, even if it's as difficult for you to believe, I just want you to begin with imagining that Jesus loves you more than anything. Yes. See, because when you can begin to imagine that, you begin to open yourself up to being found by him. You stop hiding. You stop running. See, in this, I believe this woman has imagined that even though she has been in six relationships, even though she is a town outcast, she has imagined that she's worth finding. And that Jesus is, it's worth letting Jesus find her. Verse 25. Sorry, verse 24. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. All things. Highlight this. Understand this. He will tell us all things. Almost if you're watching this from a cinematic moment, it's almost like these light bulbs keep going on one by one. Right? All things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. What? Jesus, this is verse 27. Jesus then, then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with her. But no one said, you know, what are you doing or what are you seeking or why are you talking with, with her? So the woman left her water jar, went away into town and said to the people, come See a man who told me all that I ever, ever did. 
Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Now, I, I, I want to point this out. So the woman left, this is verse 28. The woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. That's, I, I, I don't think that's a correct um, translation. I think a better translation is exactly what was said earlier. And it's simply better translated as he will tell us all things. Whoa. Not, not all things about her, but all things. Now, I, I want to be honest. The all things that you know, right? It, it's not like you don't know anything. Right? You know something. Sure. We all know something. And it's very, very easy compared to, to what the Lord knows to overwhelm what we know. But all that Christ knows and begins to reveal to her, begins to overwhelm her into the reality that he's sharing with us all things. And this is what she's saying. She's not running into town and saying, he's telling me everything I ever, ever did. See, see, that won't turn any heads in town. We, you know, hey, Margaret, we all know yeah. what you did. No, she's not going and saying that. She's going, she's saying, I've met the one who knows all things. And I want you to imagine this, because this is the most, this is the most cinematic moment of the story. I'm going to ask you to imagine, if you will, in slow motion, she drops her bucket. She came to the well to get water. She leaves the well with living water and no bucket. My friends, we all live lives Defined by the wells we visit and the buckets we carry. What are the wells in your life that you go to? And what are the buckets that you carry? These buckets hold these stories. They, they, they hold these narratives. The wells are the way that we go and we fill them. This woman... In this moment, when she realized that he was the Christ, you can imagine the bucket dropping out of her hands and falling to the ground. And you would think that she leaves this moment having nothing. Because I want to be very, very clear about this. Meeting Jesus can be life-changing or it can be life-interrupting. She could have left with the same bucket, the same water, from the same well. But in meeting Jesus, she picked up a new bucket. And that bucket is what is her soul. And the well was now coming from the water of life, coming from living water, Jesus himself. Now, I, I point this out because this is the invitation. This is our story. This story, I would like to tell you, has a different ending. I would like to tell you that, that this story says, well, this is, this is how her life changed. 
right? Oh, she did these things and, 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 and somehow her life became organized. Somehow, somehow this improved in her life. Somehow she was now happy from this point forward. There's no evidence of this because this isn't the point of the story. Oh, the woman leaves the well and, and she meets Jesus and now she gets a job and now, and now she has a balanced budget. And now, and now she gets to retire and she meets someone who loves her and, and they, have, they, they adopt four children and they open an orphanage. And now she's on the cover of this magazine and teaching these people to do this. None of this is in the story. <coughs> the story concludes the woman being filled and overwhelmed with the living water that only Christ gives. And this is what Jesus offers us today, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, every single day. It's true. It's true that she went back to that well. She went back and probably picked up the bucket and she drew water again. But I want you to know that it was never, ever, ever the same. It was never the same. 